continuing with our cultivation of the Dhamma. Cultivation of skillful qualities of the heart. The word that the Buddha used for this practice wasn't the word meditate. It's the word bahavana, which means to develop, to bring into being, to cultivate. There's a, a, a broad and a rich possibility within this work. Sometimes meditate has unfortunately narrow connotations. Maybe that was one up to the head too much. I think meditare might come from a root that means to keep bringing your mind back to a theme. I'm not sure. Certainly that, that can be an aspect of, of the garden of the heart. The flowers of the heart are certainly a beautiful and, and significant and important presence in our lives can be the capacity to return to and stay with. It doesn't necessarily mean to think about. Maybe that, as we've been exploring using thought to help us remember where we are, to help us return, and then with our whole being, as we've been exploring in this uh, healing process of samadhi, this unification, whole-bodied, whole-hearted process of gathering our life work, gathering our presence so that we're fully standing, fully sitting, fully relinquishing and resting, fully moving. And when we know we're not fully, when we, when we know I've been here and then I'm not here, to fully, to the best of our capacity, to fully give attention to that sense of disruption, dislocation, now we, in this world we see a lot about refugees, people who have been dislocated. <coughs> the, the suffering of not feeling 
you have a home or feeling you've been removed from your home or driven from your home or but in a sense until we're we're deeply healed we're refugees we're refugees from our own heart we've been driven from our heart for some ancient curious Malaise, trying to find our way back to a resting place, a place where we can relax, feel home. So the movement of compassion responds, compassion, to feel with respond to various forms of anguish or suffering or need to help alleviate that. People are hungry, they want to try to offer food, distress, try to offer understanding, encouragement. Our capacity, though, to to, to respond uh, appropriately, skillfully, truly to what is really needed is, is very conditioned by how truly present we are, how truly we are able to receive the circumstance. Leave aside trying to respond just for the moment, not eternally, but just leave it out for the moment, worrying about the refugees out there. What about this, this refugee, this dislocation? What happens where it's a chanting and then we've been relocated, dislocated. Or it's a sitting and then we're dislocated. We, we don't know where we are, jumping, bumped around, here to there. The, the true, and to me it seems, and I think it's certainly in at the heart of the Buddhist understanding, Buddhist teaching, that the origin, the origin of true compassion comes from, from being able to sense the, the disease right here, right in front of us. So close, right in this body, right in this mind. Buddha once gave an image and said, it's really nice to have the thought of being compassionate, but if there's a 
cow stuck out there in the mud. He's making sounds uh, of distress, and we respond to that. Certainly we can keep the cow company, maybe, if we get out there. That'd be a nice gesture. But if we don't have some connection with solid ground, we don't have some footing, some sense of a solid footing, then just to be out there in the mud, we, we might have a, at least we can be with this other being maybe that we're feeling for. But then it's hard to really get leverage to help, help guide. In this case, that, that cow to a solid, sure footing. We have no sure footing. So the Buddha encouraged us to, little by little, find some footing. Find some footing in the way things are. And, and, and with the more footing that we have in the way things are, the more that there's, there's an anchor of incapacity to, to help respond. Dr. Mitchell last night was uh, sharing with us the very profound teaching that our it is said are unique to the Buddhas, unique to the Buddhas. I won't go into this now, but there's this notion that uh, there's not just one Buddha, but there is a, since time immemorial, there are auspicious occasions when there is that blossoming of the human potential, and there's a full awakening full awakening into the way things are. That all the Buddhas of the past, all the Buddhas of the present, all the Buddhas of the future have this insight through contemplating these ennobling truths. And that to one extent or another, after their awakening for the rest of their lives, they, from that firm footing in the ground of being, or that island beyond, which was referred to in our reading from the Sutta Nipata the other night, from that firm footing to encourage, to gather in, to beckon fellow living beings to come home. That's a gesture of compassion. After the awakening, every move that, that a Buddha makes is, is only motivated by, by responding to the dukkha, responding to the suffering of living beings. And the most ultimately compassionate thing that one can do for oneself or another being is to help 
alleviate suffering and help someone or oneself to awaken to true ease, true peace, true relief. I'm taking this time to also encourage us to that with this what you might call wisdom work, that really it's not just wisdom work. When we're when we're investigating and being with the stresses and anxieties and suffering of life, it's also deeply compassionate work. It's a movement, it's a movement, a gesture, a response to help alleviate truly suffering. Some things alleviate suffering just temporarily, and that might be the best we can do, that might be appropriate. But some addictions perpetually may be seen to alleviate suffering, but just end up perpetuating it. Contemplations are like encouragement to reflect. Yes, it's useful to memorize them, but just because one's memorized them then doesn't mean that we're done with that. Now let's go to the, that's the beginning teaching, let's go to the next one. Suffering calls the station path. Okay. One can spend a lifetime, lifetimes, really deeply reflecting, reflecting, allowing it to be a mirror, something that keeps shining the light, shining the light of our awareness into our experience, so the cobwebs of confusion uh, dissolve and we have a sense of home, and to keep shining the light, because yes, that's home, but we keep getting relocated. There's still other currents of confusion, other stronger desires and aversions and worries and subtle conceits and things that dislocate us. Yes, we might know home, we might know how to return to ease, and that's marvelous and it's praiseworthy and it's in solid ground. And then and, and we, we, we keep shining, reflecting, these, these contemplations can help enable that more and more fully, more and more deeply. There is dukkha. To contemplate how it's worded, there is dukkha. As Tanisra was reminding us last night, it's not saying you are suffering. Didn't say that. That would be a challenge. How does he know? I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Didn't say anything about you. 
Doesn't say anything about me. Just says, there is. And then encouraged us with a whole spectrum of contemplation so that that word has a rich meaning from what Tanitha was talking about last night, dukkha, dukkha, which means the pain of pain. Dukkha, dukkha. Some things are just plain painful. You broke your arm. It's called dukkha, dukkha. It's not because one's not meditating properly. It's pain. <laughs> when the Buddha's first cousin pushed a boulder down Vulture Peak to kill him, and maybe some angels helped at the last second and it crashed into another rock, split into two, and still splinters came down and crashed into the Buddha's foot, broke his toe. That was dukkha dukkha. It was painful. He said it was painful. <laughs> he didn't just go. But it was what it was. It was the pain of having a sensitive body that had been smashed by rock. Piercing sensation, throbbing sensation, bleeding. But the Buddha's mind did not... I don't pretend to know the Buddha's mind, but as I understood it, <laughs> horrified, what recoil, tense up, he knew pain. My uh, mother, now getting older and uh, very active, sportswoman, uh, all of her life. My youth loved to play uh, basketball. And for many of her middle years, loved playing golf, really studied the game incredibly energetic and active. Now that she's uh, almost 83, she's been uh, suffering more from uh, osteoporosis. Even though she's still quite active, it's really affecting the bones and a lot more discomfort. And that's just to dispassionately talk about a body that's uh, vigorous and enjoys movement. At ease, relatively speaking, in itself, that then is undergoing this aspect of the aging process and sickness, and the pain. Yes, this is dukkha. The relationship to it now has a choice: how we relate to it. She's remarkably bright and determined. It calls me. Uh, he said, Katie Tom, just keep on moving. If you don't move, you're dead. <laughs> when they 
get distressed, say, sometimes annoys my dad, but he'll say, well, you know what Kitty Saul says? He says, let it unfold, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying, I'm crying. It's poignant. It's poignant. It's hardly sinking into me now. This, this aging process, and this this word is just the Buddha is just honoring that when he says there is dukkha, it's not a value judgment. He just 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 look at that process, that shifting form. And that it needs to be understood. It means that, you know, we really want to understand this, this world, this life, that needs to be honored, appreciated. Can we, is our heart open enough? Are we realistic enough to stay with that, sense that, feel that, poignancy, that challenge, that difficulty? Dukkha is called that which is difficult to deal with, hard to bear. From, from Buddha pointed to that experience, which is more tangible. To to uh, other. Also powerful experiences uh, on the emotional realm, you know, being parted from a loved one. It's painful. Or being united with the unloved. It's painful. Being with what you don't want to be with. Really looking forward to some occasion, something. Next to you is sitting the very person in the whole world you wish wasn't there. Whatever. It doesn't have to be a person. It can be. Your meditation is very, very calm. And suddenly you're united, united with the unloved, something you don't want. A memory, a feeling, a thought. Or just not getting what we want. Buddha laid all this out. He says, Did we know that experience? Being parted from the love, united with the unloved, not getting what we want. It is dukkha. There is this, it needs to be touched, felt, understood, open to. Even the pleasing, the, the, the pleasing is not just saying, not just talking about the pain of life, but talking in more subtle realms about even the, the beautiful, the special moments. Even our, our, our beloved calm, when we're really 
experiencing a blameless, beautiful ease and tranquility. Also talked about the the, the dukkha of that, that experience because it's conditioned. It's built up on, on the conditions of body, of attention, of form. That that has a subtle dukkha in it because it will become otherwise. And finally, the, the, the Buddha reduced the whole definition as he, as he went through this, this different ways of talking about this dukkha. He said, in short, it's the five focuses of the grasping mind. That whatever the mind can focus on, whatever, in the world of form, focus on body, shrine, our beloved special friend, Whatever one can focus on, that if there's any grasping whatsoever, there will be dukkha, because it's part, it's nature is to become otherwise, as we've been investigating. It is the nature of any conditioned thing to become otherwise. So then when we imagine that things are somehow separate, when we imagine, and when the mind is grasping doesn't realize that everything's interwoven, everything's continually dissolving back into this unmoving depth, suchness, Every wave is actually part of the depth of ocean, it's water. But when we don't know that, we focus on a wave and think it's, it's a thing. We get distressed when it breaks up on the shore. When the Buddha was asked about his teaching, sometimes he, he simplified it in, I only teach. He says, I only teach that there is dukkha and there is the ending of dukkha. He didn't say anything's a permanent condition. He said, there is dukkha and the ending of dukkha. Ending of distress. Ending of that which is hard to bear. And that that cannot happen, that cannot happen, it's impossible for that to happen if there isn't at some point a really turning to the experience itself in its strong form, in its subtle form, to understand it. Then there's the opportunity of the revelation. What we, what we direct attention to, attention is like light in a dark room. Before the light, we stumble in a dark room, we don't know what's there, we're, we're, we're groping. 
When we live just on assumptions, then we grope and keep bumping into things. Bump into sickness. God, how'd that happen? Get angry, blame somebody. As we investigate this, this condition of being human, we realize that that is the way of being born into this realm. Birth, old age, sickness, death. That's what happens to bodies in some form or other. As we then start to bring attention into uh, moments and we start to illumine, illumine. As we, as we illumine our experience and we, we start to illumine that which gives rise to the experience of distress that which gives rise to the experience of birth itself. Taking some form, taking some condition, and then imagining that that's all of the vastness of our being and being contracted, contracted and settling on a feeling, a thought, a form, a position, We take birth moment by moment, something we do, forgetting, leaving behind the vastness, the depth of our being. We take birth when consciousness, in a confused manner, contracts. And as we illumine that, we, we see the what's called the, the second noble truth, the cause, the origin of suffering. that scans, is scanning to find it, because we're refugees, when we don't quite understand the mains, we're trying to find some ease, we scan and see something, sense something, hear something that's delightful, that seems good, seems pleasing, and there's this ancient tendency to climb onto that, identify with that, take birth in that mood, that thought, that form, to become that. That cause is what's called, Peninsula was referring to it last, last night, Tanha. It's a deluded, a, a blind craving, thirst, that takes root in that which is delightful. And then in that very instant, one ensures old age, sickness, and death, because then when we take root, become something, we're balanced on something, as that that we're balanced on shifts and changes, and we feel dislocated. I see then illumine, not judge, oh, we illumine, we get a feeling for, we're patient with, this kind of craving, wanting, subtle things. They don't have to be gross things. They keep propelling us, moving, avoiding. Whether it's the thirst to have a pleasing something or other, pleasing thought, pleasing feeling, or whether it's what you called the desire to just get rid of, the desire just to not take anymore. 
I'm heading for the divide. <laughs> we bawa, it's called. No bawa here. No more bawana. No more meditation. We bawa. Just turning the lights out. <laughs> and uh, sometimes that's very skillful to rest. Sometimes it's just closing the curtain. Sometimes we get stuck in that mudra. And we're not really aware that we can start shut, shut down the system, shut down the system, <laughs> shut down the system. We're overloaded. Can't handle sensitivity anymore. Taking off switches here, 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 here. <laughs> you know, and then we we've got consciousness from the nose up, and, <laughs> and uh, And, you know, so this is, is something again to notice, to not, again not to judge, but to, to trust again. That, though you might call this wisdom practice, this is also the root, the source of compassion practice for helping heal, helping us illumine what's going on here, helping us find our way home. So we get to pace and get to know this, this craving and and aversion, and becoming. And to, uh, the Buddha encourages us to have a relationship with this to, rather than just stick to it. Remember, focuses of the grasping mind, we tend to stick to this feeling. It's so seductive, so believable, that when this Sunhai is there, it's just when we're riding it, become it, to get a feeling for letting it be, letting it go. Now this is easy to misunderstand, like we think, oh, I shouldn't have any desires. And we're just trying to crush that and it'll explode somewhere else. And, and, and compassion itself is a form of purified desire, desire to alleviate, but it's an it's an aspiration to, to truly help. Not that we're trying to crush this energy, but we're we're looking at the tendency just to blindly believe something, get locked into something, as we more get this passion towards it, able to sense it for what it is, then then desires and aversions and becoming start to we start to have space with them, we start to sense as they move through the heart. We start to sense the fever, the stress that comes from continually believing. Oh, gotta get over there. Gotta move that there. Oh, gotta get that back over here. Never ended. If we're just into furniture moving in samsara, it's big job. <laughs> big. And and there are times to move, but then consciously. And so as we learn to let go of this, that gives us a real, as we deepen our experience of letting go, we deeply get the experience of when thoughts, feelings, moods are there, they come and go, but we're not doing anything about them. We're just being with them. And we get a sense of that depth of the sea, depth of the heart, get a sense of that stillness, of that ground. 
And then at the right moment, we do can, can as, as these currents are being purified by presence of mind, they, 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 rather than dunha, they become compassion. They become a response rather than a blind reaction. And as we're responding, it's not so much, I'm going to get there. As we're responding, we're here. We're responding here, moving within the stillness of here. When we can truly have a moment of letting be, letting go, and we're not so busy getting somewhere, getting rid of something, then we can experience the third noble truth. We can, in a moment, experience the ending of dukkha. And though maybe our toe or our knee or our our aging process, maybe there is that kind of dukkha dukkha. Maybe there is some pain. But we're not making a big thing out of it. We're not even adding anything to it, taking anything away. It is what it is. But in not grasping, not rejecting, then that, uh, that pain is uh, not even been named, necessarily. You can give it a name. But it's being, it's resting in the spaciousness of presence. Cool. In our moments of alignment. And if we notice, oh, I've been cool long enough. Come on. <laughs> and we notice, ah, oh, good girl. Ah, that's suffering. The suffering I'm adding to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's blue chip, first class. It's suffering. You smile at us. Then notice when we're not adding. It is just what it is. It's like this. It's non-suffering. And that activity, that activity of investigation, this activity of cultivating presence, cultivating ease, cultivating investigation, cultivating being with, cultivating letting go. All this is the fourth noble truth. It's all path activity. It's that which leads to the ending of stress, ending of suffering. We can't do it all at one time. Just have to be patient. Continue to use this precious time that we have, moment by moment. Relax into our sitting, our walking, our resting, our lying down, our movement. And just see the feeling of being with. Noticing what's easeful, noticing what we're scared of losing, noticing what we're pushing away. Noticing when we deeply let be, 
with an, with an out-breath, deeply let go. Not to get rid of. But like a mother with a child on the swing, and the child goes forward, and then the swing comes back, the mother gently receives the child. And letting go, just like an out-breath. And at the right time, the child comes back and we receive that easeful, trusting, letting be on a simple outbreath. Can really let be. We'll notice the cool peacefulness with things just as they are. Things will be changing, some things will be comfortable, some things won't be comfortable. There will be the conditions that the heart touches and receives. We'll keep be reminding ourselves that there's nowhere to go. Reminding ourselves of this support. Joyful support, bright support that we can uncover, discover in our own heart when we relax. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.